The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. What are the moments when you believe in yourself most? Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. This week, I talked to Oprah's meditation guy and founder of The Big Quiet, Jesse Israel. Now, I wanted to talk to him because, well, he's Oprah's meditation guy, but also because of what he's doing. Jesse is leading a movement where tens of thousands of people come together for the powerful work of collective meditation. Now, if you listen to this show often, you know that I am a regular meditator, but it wasn't always this way, and it's taken a while to get to where I am today. And many of us know the benefits of meditation, like increased well-being. There's less distress. Even at work, there's less job strain and an increased awareness of your support network. So why don't we do it more? In my experience, it was not feeling like a meditator. It was not seeing immediate results because they take time. And it was also just frustration that I couldn't quiet my mind and my thoughts kept racing. So I brought Jesse in to help us with some potential misperceptions. And because after being knocked down, he's gotten back up in a really meaningful way. And I think we all could use some of that inspiration. It just so happens that meditation can help. And Jesse's going to tell us how. So first of all, Jesse, I have to ask you this. Like, do people say to you, you don't seem like a meditator? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to get it a lot more. But yes, people do say it to me. Okay, got it. Yeah, because I, I feel like I get some of the same things. And I could see you getting that. And I always joke about when I first started meditating, it must have been like 2011 or 12 or something. The internet felt newer. And I would Google and it was like all these people online that looked like they were just like slowly walking around barefoot and all white. And I was like, well, that's never going to be me. So, you know, I guess I guess I'm like a kind of meditator, like a pseudo meditator. Um, so I, I'm glad to see another non meditator looking person. <laughs> of course. I mean, I, I think it's important. I, honestly, I think it has a lot to do with how I've been able to grow my work is because it's, it's just kind of shown people that you can be into whatever and still do this kind of stuff. You're taking me back to like my own experience pre-meditation of being like, oh my God, if I start meditating, I'm not going to want to have any of the same friends. I might not want to make any money anymore. <laughs> I might not want to live in New York. I have to get rid of my apartment. Like everything's going to fall apart. Tell me what it's been like for you to go on this journey when it comes to those external things that we're all, we're all still in the world, right? Well, I ran a record label for 10 years in my 20s. And then I started doing this work about six, seven years ago. And at the start of 2020, I had this incredible opportunity to go on tour with Oprah. And I had this really peak experience of guiding mass meditations and bringing mm -hmm. the big quiet, talking about it in arenas full of people and doing it on stage with Oprah. We'd have a conversation on every tour stop where we'd talk about why this work's important to both of us. And it was incredible. When that tour ended, it was 10 weeks at the start of 2020. The last tour stop was also five days before the pandemic lockdown occurred. So I went from really a career pinnacle moment, like a, a peak career moment. And within the same week, everything, all the inbound and incredible stuff that had come in from being on tour with Oprah got canceled. 
it was wild to witness that in such an extreme high to such an extreme low. Then the next few months, as I know is the case for so many people, it was about making sense of what am I going to do now? All I've done for the past five years at that point was live events and mass meditations. And it looks like I'm not going to be able to do it for a long time. Mm -hmm. How am I going to continue to help people? And how am I going to continue to make money? It was a big shift to go from that. And as I started to get my feet on the ground and start to play with virtual stuff and started to get into uh, public speaking and some of these other ways to, to help and reach people, I went into 2021 and got really sick from toxic mold poisoning, which is this random thing that I didn't really know existed, but I had black molds in the home that I had moved into. And what was so interesting about it, particularly interesting about it, was that the symptoms of mold are pretty much the exact opposite of the benefits of meditation. So I'm doing these talks with 35,000 people virtually, right? Some of the biggest groups I've ever reached talking about being well. When I'm looking at myself and the little, you know, Zoom screen, and it's one of the unique things about doing public talks in virtual worlds, you see yourself the whole time. And just looking so unwell while I'm teaching people how to be well. One of the symptoms we deal with with mold toxicity is cognitive impairment. So I'd be talking and just forget what I was saying. And I would be guiding meditations and lose my train of thought. And just a, a few months into this, had really convinced myself that I was a phony. How can I teach people how to meditate and how to take care of themselves and be a leader or coach for people when I'm so in my own head? I'm such a mess myself. By the summer of 2020, I didn't feel like I could go anywhere and feel safe. I didn't know what was real. My mind felt really out of my control. So by this point, I was really pushing away from work. I didn't feel like I deserved it. And I started to find evidence for what I was telling myself, which was my career is done. Big quiet's done. And by the fall of last year, I was at a standstill. You know, I'd really withdrawn. I was barely working and things were pretty slow. My relationship had ended. I wasn't seeing anybody. And I realized that the two things that I rely on most for my sense of worth, happiness, joy, it's always been for me work and relationships. And both of those things were totally still. And I had come off of so hyper identifying with being Oprah's meditation guy, being with big groups and so much of what's powered me and pushed me forward has been notoriety. And there were so many times where that's what it was about, not about teaching meditation and guiding meditations because it helps people and because I do believe it repairs the world. I would totally lose touch with that. By the fall of this past year, when things were totally still, like I described, I had reached this point where I was miserable and my life felt joyless. And all I wanted was something, quote unquote, big to be happening so I could feel good about myself. And then something shifted in me and I can't really explain it, but um, it was just, I think one day at, at one of my lowest points in, in last fall where something shifted and I said, man, I focus so much on other people and other stuff. And I'm so concerned about me and I'm not making any space for the things that are actually good in my life. 
And I haven't considered in a long time some of the things that do make me special, some of the things that I am proud of. And I started to just place more energy into the good things in my life, the things I was grateful for, into the things that I was proud of that made me Jesse. And by 2022, I started to have this experience that I'd never really had before, where while work was still unknown and my relationship stuff was still unknown, I started to feel this deep sense of love for myself and this sense of excitement for life and what was next without knowing what it was and without having something to post about on my Instagram. <laughs> and it really brought me back to these two key critical reminders that I think I just really, really needed to be reminded of, especially as a leader and someone who's dedicated to service. And those two reminders were, one, we already talked about it. Happiness is an inside job. Joy is something that we all have access to within us if we're able to really root in the gratitude of being alive. So that was that one piece. And the other reminder was that ultimately my work is most fulfilling and exciting when I am able to practice staying committed to why I do it in the first place. And when I'm able to remember that so much of why I do my work is because I'm here to solve problems and to serve the needs of our time, it brings a new energy. It's an energy that goes towards contribution as opposed to an energy towards what I'm lacking. <laughs> and I just needed to get smashed with this learning to come back to remembering that. And mm. you know what? I think this is going to continue to be a remembering and forgetting process for me, but I really needed to get hit with it in a big way. I kind of feel like that's life. Um, it's like constant yeah. remembering and forgetting. Totally. <laughs> it is. So for those people, you know, who are sitting thinking like, I'm not a meditator or I don't like meditation or I can't quiet my mind or, you know, I just don't even know where to start. Like, what are you really doing? What is meditation and why should we care? <laughs> the way that I like to think of meditation is the systematic process of releasing stress and fatigue from our body. And this is a very kind of science, rational way to think of what meditation is, which I have found has worked best for me. And seems to also work well for people who are maybe new to some of these concepts or concepts around wellness and well-being. When we practice meditation, when we close our eyes and move into a meditation practice, one of the first things that occurs within the body's nervous system is the fight or flight response, that stress response that thinks it's helping us out because it thinks that our body's got a, some threat to our survival happening every moment of the day. The fight or flight response starts to turn off. It's something that happens quite quickly once we begin meditating. Even if we don't feel relaxed, even if the mind is wandering like crazy, we're still experiencing this benefit. Fight or flight response starts to cool off. And when that happens, our nervous system starts to regulate. We move into a parasympathetic nervous system state. It's also known as the relaxation response. Mm -hmm. And when this happens, our body starts to feel like it's not under attack all the time. <laughs> By the way, the average person living in 2022 experiences about 25 fight or flight triggers in any given day. And it takes the body's metabolism about 90 minutes to recover from a fight or flight moment. So for so many of us, we're in a constant state of fight or flight, a constant state of the body thinking that it's under attack. So when we practice meditation regularly and the body starts to regulate itself, when we go to sleep at night, the body's able to go, oh, I'm not under attack. It lets us sleep deeply. As opposed to when we're constantly stressed, the body doesn't want to let us go to sleep in a deep way. It doesn't want us to get too deep because it thinks 
there's a tiger that's going to pop out and eat us at any moment. <laughs> so for me, when I started to notice that fight or flight deregulation, I started to notice benefits quite quickly. And that also can look like getting sick less often, starting to notice that we remember more, starting to realize that instead of stressfully reacting to stuff or losing it and snapping on people, we start to thoughtfully have space to respond. And then as I continue with my practice, and I see this with my students and with people that I coach, a constant meditation practice starts to allow people to see the unknown as exciting instead of scary. <laughs> and we start to feel a, a constant stream of creative desire in our heart. So ultimately what it's about, uh, I guess at a base level for me, is a practice that removes stress from my body. Now, the more that I meditate, the more that meditation has become a meaningful daily part of my life, the more it's taken on deeper meaning beyond just being about stress. It's helped me get really clear about who I am in the world. And it's allowed me to feel good about the person that I am, just as me, regardless of what's happening with work or with relationships or the things that I'm so used to kind of relying on to feel a sense of self-worth or identity. Meditation's helped me just feel good about being Jesse. And that's been so huge for me. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to ask you a big one. Who are you in the world? <laughs> I love this question. Um, the way that I answer that question first is through my work of service, which is ultimately I'm a leader. And the ways that I lead through teaching, through speaking, through coaching other leaders, through hosting big quiet events. And I like to think that the ways that I lead help people reconnect with their own power and sense of self-worth. Because what I've seen and I've seen this so much through my own experience, and I've really seen a lot of it right now in this phase that we're in, the pandemic, is that it's so common for us to lose a sense of belief in ourselves. It's so common to feel self-doubt just taking over, especially after how much the last two years has shaken us up. So for me, I like to think of myself as someone that can help guide people back to that place of self-love, self-belief, self-connection, because when people are in that place, they are so powerful and they get clear about how they can give to the world in a way that repairs the world, pushes the world forward, shifts culture. So that's how I'd answer that. What you're sharing is basically that as you become, you give others permission to become. And I also love that what you're doing is democratizing the idea of what leadership means. I think a lot of times we get into these very specific boxes of what it means to be a leader. I mean, every company, you know, every organization, most of us have a checklist of things that are supposed to be true in order for someone to be a leader. But it's not often that you see on that checklist, like becoming more of who you are <laughs> or being yourself. Right. Yeah, I so appreciate you pointing that out. And, you know, I, I really had to learn that myself the hard way. And in doing so, I realized hmm, this is something that's important for other people to understand and to help define who they are and define their leadership. It's very easy in this world that we live in today, especially in like the booming wellness space, to really think that wellness is just about looking better, feeling better. And the wellness space can feel very trite. I'm, I'm aware of. And when you say something like, you don't look like a meditator, it's like, I get it because I understand what that space looks like and how that space is perceived. and. What I try to remind people of is that wellness only matters if we are feeling better so that we can have a meaningful and make a meaningful contribution to the world. If the sentence of what wellness is about ends at 
take care of ourselves so we can feel better, period. We're missing the whole point. <laughs> so much of why self-care is important, why wellness is important, why taking care of ourselves and, and feeling our best. We hear this all the time. So much of why that matters is because when we are our best, we get clear about how we can be of use in the world. And this is critical to our sense of purpose on this planet. We're going to take a short break. While we're away, if you are one of those people who wants to try meditation for the first, fifth, or 10th time, or even just get more serious about it, why not get a five minute session on the calendar right now? I know for me, if it's not on my calendar, it literally doesn't exist. So I'm gonna take it even a step further. I know that you're listening on your phone, so schedule it now. Seriously, I'll wait. When we get back, Jesse is gonna share how we can make space to meditate in a world that feels increasingly hectic. So get it on your calendar, like now. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. We're back with my guest, Jesse Israel, founder of the mass meditation movement, The Big Quiet. Something I, I wonder about is, you know, what keeps people from going on a journey like this. Like what we're really talking about is an inward journey and and some of the challenges that we face, some of the hardship that we face. As, I, I, as, as someone who meditates regularly, it's, it's a lot of time spent with yourself, right? <laughs> like kind of being there and there, there are thoughts, absolutely. So you're not just sitting there in full <laughs> silence, like things are coming up and all of yep. your stuff is coming up. And I think that's already hard enough. And then you see all these other distractions and the ways in which we kind of frame up self-care or wellness. I'm curious what your perspective is on what gets in the way. Like, I mean, what you've shared is release stress, become more of who you are, find self-love, self-belief, self-connection. I mean, these are all things that anybody would pay you know, a lot of money for. And yet most of the world is not currently meditating. Yeah. What's the deal? Well, I love that you ask it. I love that you bring it up because it's one of the great challenges of my work. It's becoming increasingly more challenging to get people to sit down and just meditate and just be with their thoughts. 
we live in a world today where the amount of information that we process in a single day in 2022 is equivalent to the amount of information we process in our entire lives when we lived in tribes just 12,000 plus years ago. So we, we have not evolutionarily caught up with being able to meet the demands of our world today. So the way that most of us live, it's just not sustainable. And this is why we see so much illness physically and mentally. And this is why taking care of our bodies is so important. And it's also why it's so hard to be with our own thoughts because there's so much coming at us all the time. It's really tough. And, you know, I just think about this through the practice of meditation for people to be able to make the space for it. And then on top of that, to be able to sit with the discomfort with the, the challenging stuff that can come up when we meditate, which is so important because, like I said, through the release of that discomfort and through allowing ourselves to feel and move through whatever it is we're going through, on the other side of that is clarity, power. Um, but sitting with that and allowing that is, oh, our society tells us that we're not supposed to have it and that we're supposed mm -hmm. to fix it. <laughs> so just being with it is an incredible practice and a, and a practice that requires a lot of discipline in this day and age. When you started in your own meditation practice, did you find you were afraid of some of these very things, of the thoughts that might come up or just having to sit with yourself? Yeah, absolutely. When I first started meditating, uh, I was, you know, experiencing pretty debilitating anxiety and panic attacks. So to sit with myself when I knew that that was something that was capable of happening within me was really scary. But I also knew and felt and trusted that by making regular space to heal my nervous system, that I was able to make progress and create a stronger foundation for my body my nervous system and my mind so I could start to experience the world differently and have and, and experience those types of challenges less. But by having great teachers and great community, I felt like I could safely move through that. Mm -hmm. I fully relate to what you're saying. And I also, you brought up the fact that mental health is being more discussed than it ever has been. I can remember times where I was having such terrible anxiety. I wouldn't tell anybody about it. And although meditation was a clear way out, I ended up piling up a whole bunch of other stuff to keep myself so busy that I didn't have to look at the anxiety mm. because that seemed like the scariest thing was, what are my thoughts going to say? What am I going to remember? What, you know, trauma am I going to unearth? I don't want to go there. So I'll just, you know, make friends, have plans, live in New York City and, and make myself busy. Yeah. And I love that you have the self-awareness around that because this is how most of us operate. And it's also how, how we're told to live in this day and age. You just kind of take on as much as you can. Just say yes mm -hmm. as much as possible and just do it, hustle, make it happen. So I love that you were able to apply that, that self-awareness to it. You know, for me, I started to practice these tech Sabbaths <laughs> where Friday night at sundown until Saturday night at sundown, I would turn my phone off um, and hide it. And it was really really challenging at first. And then I started to realize that with, with limiting the distractions that come from my phone for a 24-hour period, I was able to start to make space to feel clear with myself and to start to actually allow some of the stuff to come up, but also to allow it to come out. And on the other side of that, to just come back to feeling good about me. And I realized I really needed these digital detox moments, these moments to cleanse to really intentionally make that space. So I kind of forced myself into it. And then always 
by the time that Saturday sundown would hit, I wouldn't want to turn my phone back on. I, you know, my body adjusted to how refreshing it was to just be and to, you know, make food without listening to a podcast or to go for a walk and just listen to the sounds of the street instead of having my Spotify on. And I realized by creating those boundaries for ourselves, there's a real gift in, in what comes with that. But it requires boundary setting, it requires discipline, and that can feel really scary and can feel really tough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in part, our phones kind of become to-do lists that other people place on us, especially with text messages and oftentimes with DMs or email. It's just so nice to just cut that tether for a period of time. Mm-hmm. I was actually just talking to somebody about meditation earlier today, and she was saying, like, God, it's so hard for me to just sit down for 10 minutes. And I was like, sit down for three, you know, like start somewhere so that you can get yourself to the point of actually progressing. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's really important to just call out for people that this is a continual journey. But I also want to just pull back to one thing you said, which is why we do this at all and some of the value that comes out of doing it. And you're reminding me of when I was becoming a coach, the final um retreat, which was a three-day experience together, was about something called process. And process was about looking at something hard and just going down into it. And so mm. the the kind of like visual of it looks like you're falling into an abyss. And then all of a sudden, there's this point where it naturally shifts back up and you come out. And I was scared out of my mind. I was like, I'm going to hate this weekend. <laughs> and what happened was exactly what you talked about, which is that we all started with being coached on things that were challenging for us, that we were afraid of looking at. And we went there and we stayed there and we just let ourselves sit there. And then all of a sudden, kind of like magic, naturally, we just came out of it. But it wasn't until we stopped to look at it that we could move through it. Yeah, this is such an important practice. And if we're willing to do this with deeper work in the way that you described, it's wild what's on the other side. Hmm. And it's a reminder that when we allow ourselves to move through challenge, especially emotional challenge or emotional pain, if we allow ourselves to move through it, we learn so much from it. We become stronger, more powerful, clearer. Mm -hmm. But the tendency that we have as humans is to hide from it, to feel like there's something wrong with us, to fix it right away. And what you're talking about, I think, is kind of a lost art. And it's this critical piece to being human. Do you have to be spiritual to meditate and or do you become spiritual by meditating or is spirituality completely separate from meditating? For me, I felt a greater spiritual connection through my meditation practice, but that's not what drew me to it. For me, it's about how much it's helped me be able to move through the world and meet the demands of the world. And in doing so and in receiving that support, I feel like I am more open and able to feel into and connect with a greater power, with a greater force, and just trust a whole hell of a lot more in life's process and unfolding than I was able to before I was meditating. Mm. You said trust. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like anxiety, right, and and stress, a lot of that comes from the inability to to trust or the desire to control. Totally, especially <laughs> with anxiety. I mean, one of the most challenging components of anxiety is when we're experiencing it. It is so hard to remember that it will go away. It always goes away. 
But when we are in it, it's like the light at the end of the tunnel. It's just, it's just, it's not visible. And it's part of what's just so tricky about the experience of anxiety. One of the ultimate mindfulness practices is when we're experiencing something challenging emotionally, or we are in a moment of anxiety, to be able to remind ourselves and know, even though this feels so uncomfortable, so scary, I know this will pass. And I trust that I'm having this experience because it's making me stronger. It's teaching me something. But if we're able to trust, if we're able to remember and surrender in that way, it starts to melt. Mm. And this is the ultimate mindfulness practice, in my opinion. So I'm curious now, you've had this experience, you went on this journey, you went from like the highest high to a crazy low. What's possible now? What I'm starting to see is that, and it's taken me seven, almost seven years of doing this work to start to really understand this, that um, when I believe in myself, when I'm really actually connected to, these are what my gifts are, this is what lights me up, and I believe that I'm on this earth uniquely to go share these gifts in this way, that when I prioritize the act of giving those gifts, anything is possible. And what that's meant for me has been for the past many years, I felt like I could only do stuff within the realm of meditation. It was like, that's what I was known for. That's what I got paid for. I guy meditations, but there's so much more I have to offer as a leader and as a supporter of leaders. So giving myself the permission to start to expand and lean more into giving my gifts and feeling how exciting and alivening it can be to give myself the permission to do that. And what I know and feel is that it's just going to expand my work with meditation. It's not that I'm, I'm going to stop doing that. I just think it's going to bring more color and add more value to it. And I can imagine you too, as, as a coach and helping people move through blocks, you're realizing that with the right guidance, we can bring people into an alignment where anything is possible for them, where, they, where we really can create the dreams we want, as long as we're really aligned on why they're important and how it lines up with us really giving our best and really giving our gifts to the world. And it feels mm -hmm. exciting. That's beautiful. All right, I'm going to have you complete these three statements, Jesse. Um, mm -hmm. The first is better humans are. Loving of themselves. Better work is. Driven by the things that excite us. And a better world has. More leaders that lead with their truth. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. That was meditation coach and founder of The Big Quiet, Jesse Israel. One big thing before we go, and this is super important when it comes to meditation. Meditating is not some easy path. It's not a quick fix to challenges, but it does have huge and lasting rewards. When you start getting into it, you're going to notice changes, but they're going to be little by little until you look back and realize you're just different in a really positive way. I'm excited for you to give it a try. If today's episode resonated with you, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can always find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential. Would love to hear from you, so send me a message. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien, 
Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor in chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me and I'll see you next week.